Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. It is Wednesday. Welcome back to Coindesk TV, The Hash. Thank you guys for watching and listening. I'm your host, well, co-host, Wendy O. And I've got Will and I've got Adam here. I'll be the host today, right, guys? Is that okay? Can we do that? You can take it. You got the steering I'll wheel. I'll be the host. I'm Drive just kidding. I'm, I'm not going to be the host. This is this is a three-way split here. Okay, so first story. This is a very interesting story. Digital Euro will focus on personal use first. So we all know that CBDCs are coming whether we like it or not. And yes, CBDCs are 100% evil. But the Euro is going to focus on personal use, not Web3. And they say that they are concerned that they need to have more utility than credit cards and cash for the CBDC to work. And they want a bill to be published early next year. And it's supposed to have three different use cases. And a quote from the article, the first stage will only enable payments initiated by people rather than allowing businesses to settle invoices, issue paychecks, or be used in a decentralized finance. EU officials said Wednesday. And I kind of feel like they want to make it like a Zelle or Venmo. Adam, give me your thoughts. I mean, whenever we hear these types of authorities talking about these types of projects, really what you're hearing about is a lot of whataboutism, right? Essentially, these countries aren't using these types of technologies because they want to. They're using them because to the extent that they don't use them is to the extent that they make themselves more vulnerable. Effectively, what you're seeing is you're seeing somebody improve a product and then the incumbent come out and say, yeah, well, okay, we acknowledge that there's some improvements here, but we've also instituted the improvements that are good, and they have all these things that are bad. And the things that they think are bad are actually typically the things that actually make a cryptocurrency or a decentralized system at all something that's valuable, which is notably decentralization, notably a lack of concentration of power, and and notably a lack of somebody, regardless of how smart and well-intentioned they are, who has the ability to simply change the rules because they think that, well, given the current situations, it's good to change the rules. What we, I think, have learned over history, not just modern history, but, you know, going far, far back, is that these changes to monetary policy benefit people who are close to the uh, to you know to the power that's actually making those decisions, that's printing the new money, kind of whatever it is that you want. But everybody in society suffers, and so 
it seems like a good idea, but we have so much history that says that it's not. And the stuff that's going on in Europe right now, I mean, around the energy thing, like that is an incredible, crazy story that's going to get even crazier and illustrates this point entirely, which is that short-term considerations, governments always want the ability to respond to them, but they tend to actually make things worse rather than if they just let things happen the way that they were going to happen. So uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Will, what do you think? <laughs> I love the TED Talk. We should just keep rolling with that. Now, this came from the ECB yesterday, a manager at the ECB, uh, which advises the EU was talking about this. And it makes sense to have these first three sort of goals, peer-to-peer -peer money. So just like basic transactions between family and friends, then just consumer to business. So if you're going to buy something in a small business, and the last one would be for government money spend. So if you're going to spend money from local government to another government, send it that way. Pretty simple, right? It's a good little test bed for this product. The confusing thing to me, though, is that these other applications are not going to be ready. They noted DeFi, they noted a few other things that cryptocurrencies are typically able to do. And it makes me wonder like how and why those things are not going to be available, right? Like why can we not use DeFi with this uh, central bank digital currency immediately? Like what are like the walled gardens they're putting around this? And like on a technical front, how does that occur? If I'm thinking about this from like a crypto perspective, if I have an ERC20 token, I can flip that into any application I want as long as it's ERC20 compatible. And there's not a lot of walled gardens there. So the ECB is going to have to put up some of those things and that's going to make it harder to use. And it's also going to hurt adoption of it, right? So if I, my first use case is just sending money between friends and family, that's great. But the fact I can't use it for DeFi or I can't use it for any other financial purpose, that really narrows the reason for me to have it in my digital wallet. I'll probably go and stick with a private dollar or a private euro, which already exists and you can use across lots of different applications. Wendy, I'll give it back to you. I think it's really interesting that they want to roll out the government stage last. Like, wouldn't you think that they would want to test it to make sure it works first to make everything more transparent? And so the ivory towers could be like, wow, this works great. You guys should use it. Of course, they're not going to do that, though, because that means that everything they spend are going to be tracked. So this makes 100% why they're using the underdogs as a quote unquote experiment. And I don't like it. I think it's not good in any way, shape or form. And I just also want to say that I used to be like kind of a champion for CBDC because I thought this is great. This is going to get more people involved in crypto. But then when I really started researching and seeing what they were going to do, I saw the tornado cash thing come out. I saw the censorship come out when Adam was talking about all the different climate things. Like imagine if you post a tweet that is something contradictory to what the powers that be want you to put out. They can simply just stop you from transacting. They can control your money. So I think it's a dangerous thing. I'm not with it. Only way I could potentially be with it is if they test it out on the government first. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, so there's two things here. One, they haven't actually decided that they're going to do this yet. Like we're talking about this as if this is happening, but it says explicitly in this report, and we've known for some time that they're investigating it. They haven't committed to anything. And again, that's kind of this stall tactic that we see over and over and over again, uh, you know, across these types of stories, whenever it's involving the government, which is that they don't really want to do this. They're good with the system as it is. Like that's not, it's not a problem for them the way that things work, where they lack transparency and, you know, where they can basically just kind of do what they want and then pretend as if there are other causes when really it's monetary policy that's causing a lot of the issues in our world today. So that, there's, there's an element there. And then the other side of it is that when you're looking at these types of solutions, the incentives are just all wrong around these things. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they're, they would do it in that way were they to do it. 
because their point isn't to create a functional system. Their point is to try and steal some thunder from systems that are actually better. Um, and as a result of that, try and, you know, capture some of the people who would otherwise go had they offered nothing at all. So I think that, again, like CBDCs, the nice part about them is that to the extent that they happen, they reveal themselves as being actually a terrible vehicle to do a lot of this stuff and sort of make the case for the more decentralized elements in the space. Again, like this is not a common perspective. You know, we're all pretty educated about this stuff at this point, but it's something that people wake up to when they come into conflict with the existing system, because that's how you understand that an alternative would actually be useful. So there's a lot of work still to do here. I continue to be very amused every time we see these uh, big government agencies come out with this stuff because it's just, it's such weak positioning, right? Like these governments have so much power and they're so strong in so many ways. And yet when it comes to the currency and it comes to any sort of competitive pressure, they just collapse into themselves. And it's honestly a beautiful thing to see. So <laughs> anybody Waste. have any comments or shall we move on? Well, really quick, Adam, before you, you talk about the next story, I just feel like they're just wasting people's time and money. And it's not their money, oh. it's our money. And that's the unfortunate aspect Shocking. about it. Like it's, yeah. literally a, like it's literally a terrible like Shakespeare comedy or tragedy at this point. But anyways. yeah, there's there's no joke about that. They're definitely wasting our time. And that is the point, it seems to me, at least, is to drag this out for as long as possible because it maximizes the amount of time that they remain in power. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. In a follow-up story to my uh, story yesterday, we've got some more details from both Binance and Circle, one of the companies behind USDC, the second largest stablecoin. You will remember if you watched yesterday's episode that Binance, the largest crypto exchange based on current volume, announced Monday that USDC, Paxos Dollars, and TrueUSD will no longer be traded at the exchange, and deposits will automatically convert into Binance USD, the company's stablecoin equivalent, uh, starting in late September. Although users will be able to withdraw the exchange's stablecoin in the form of USDC or others at a one-to-one -one ratio. So we've previously discussed the possible reasons behind the move, and we suspected that it had been a surprise and aggressive competitive tactic. But as the news cycle turns, that is not actually how it's turned out. And while it seems counterintuitive, Jeremy Allaire, the chief executive officer at Circle, the firm that issues USDC, tweeted that, quote, the change will likely lead to more USDC flowing to Binance. According to the CEO, as crypto traders don't really use Binance or, or BUSD outside of the exchange itself, quote, this will likely benefit USDC usage as the preferred cross-centralized exchange and decentralized exchange stablecoin rail, end quote. So that puts the news into a somewhat different context, and I wanted to bring it up again today in case we have some different thoughts. But in other Binance news, the, the U.S. subsidiary has also announced that they're going to be uh, delivering a 6% annual yield to U.S. customers who hold ETH in their exchange. And that starts as low as 0.001 ETH, or about a buck fifty at current prices. The exchange announced that late yesterday. Wendy, uh, a lot can change in just 24 hours. What do you think about this? I still think CZ is a boss for doing this. He's basically saying, we're not going to deal with any of your currencies. We want our own. And as a business model, I think it's great. 
And I don't necessarily know if it's good for USDC or not. I still feel like, like me personally, anytime you, like in the United States for tax purposes, anytime you swap any cryptocurrency, you take a loss, you make a tiny bit of profit, you get hit with the tax bill. So if people are going from BUSD to USDC, and then withdrawing it, it's still going to cause it to trigger taxes issue. So why just not keep BUSD if you if you have an application that you can convert it to cash easily? That's just my personal opinion as a trader. I'm not sure if other people feel that way, but I just don't think it's a bullish thing for USDC. And I also think that USDC is going to be the CBDC of the United States of America. Will? <laughs> I'll give it to Adam really quick and then throw in my two cents. Well, I was just going to say that uh, one of the so so typically stablecoins trade against each other, right? So you might see BUSD trading at ninety nine point nine cents on the dollar or something like that against USDC or something. Effectively, what Binance is doing here is they're eliminating those taxable consequences because they're making it so that irrespective of what the exchange rate is, they're going to value these tokens coming in at a ratio of one to one, and they're going to value them going out at a ratio of one to one. So that does create some potential business pressures for Binance especially if their own stablecoin eventually, you know, uh, somehow breaks its peg and goes below. But assuming that that doesn't happen, uh, and even if it did, if they continue to offer it, you know, at a one-to-one ratio, then you could, I, I believe that you avoid the taxable consequences that you're talking about. But it does add complexity, which is not uh, nothing. So, uh, Will, throw it to you. Yeah, this story reminds me of a few weeks back, Coinbase moving all their USD accounts into USDC, right? They wanted to make the order book a little simpler, and so all the USD denominated trades or trades you could make or dollars in your account move to USDC. And it might seem like a small thing to someone who's just sort of looking at crypto for the first time, being like, oh, what's the difference between USD and USDC? But there is a difference in the back end and on the technical end, and that affects the market for USDC, the stable coin, which of course is a stable coin trading on par with the dollar as much as it can. Sometimes it slips above it or below. And the more that you can unify that order book and get everything behind USDC, the more liquidity you have and the more stable that stable coin becomes. So it made sense for Coinbase to do that. I see this Binance move in a very similar light. They wanted to move everything behind BUSD in order to improve liquidity and therefore improve the stability of that token. And there's lots of competition for that token, right? But I do think looking at the way that they rolled this out and the fact that they talked with a lot of these different stable coin providers before the transition shows that they're more interested in not only protecting BUSD, but also strengthening the stablecoin market. I think most people at this point really understand the stablecoin market. It's not going to be a winner-take-all. Everyone thought that for quite a while, but Tether had everyone by the ears. And really, lately, it's been sort of unimpressive, right? The, the value on it and the volume on it has been decreasing ever since we've been going to a bear market. USDC has been really catching up, has done so well to become the stablecoin or trying to be like the reserve asset of DeFi in a way that Tether has not been able to. I think there's more room for other stable coins to grow. So I expect this to continue. I expect to see more consolidation and exchanges like Binance, like Coinbase, and maybe some others like there. Curve Finance is launching a token, possibly or allegedly. I think we're going to see more of this centralization of stable coins. Wendy, to you. I want to say that USDC is like the number one stable coin for Solana. I want to. I feel like so that could be why. And I know that I Solana NFT. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it is. Don't quote me on this, but Solana-based NFTs are kind of only thing that's really going on in this current bear market. But I think a lot of people kind of strayed away from Tether because of all the FUD for years, and also a lot of exchanges in the U.S. They don't list Tether. They don't at all. They list like USDC or Gemini's got their stablecoin. But so I, I don't know. That's why I think that 
tethers kind of lost their foothold, which is fine. Again, positive competition. And without this positive competition, tether, I don't think would have been so transparent as they are today. Fair enough. The one last note I'll leave on this is a nice tweet thread from the CEO of Wintermute. Wintermute is a huge trading firm out there in crypto. I think they do traditional finance as well. And the thread, which you can find in the article, basically outlines why this is actually a positive for crypto and why it's a positive for both USDC and BUSD. I think when most people looked at this headline, they thought, oh, Binance is winning again. They're taking out the competition. But if you look at how these order books work, you look at how these stable coins are growing and the network effects around them, you're finding out this is actually a pretty good situation for both tokens out there. But let's move to our last story. We're going to talk about Celsius, which course, still in the news, alleged to be a Ponzi scheme from the Vermont regulators, uh, saying that a lot of the deposits were paid to new customers in order to increase deposits on the exchange itself, essentially saying, like, we don't have yield here, so we're going to have to pay out old customers with new customers' money. Classic Ponzi scheme situation. Adam, I'm going to give this one over to you. I think we've known this for a while. But to see someone like the Vermont regulators come out against this shows you that there's a little more teeth involved now and people are really trying to go after Celsius in a way that we haven't seen to date. Been a lot of allegations, but nothing so far that's going to go against them in court of law for the Ponzi scheme dynamic. Well, I mean, these are still allegations. We should be clear. There's nothing that's been proven. This has not gone to trial yet. And really, that's the way that our system works is that the assumption is innocence until proven guilty. But the reality is, is that things look very bad here. Um, this very much does look like, again, like you look back at the DeFi sort of revolution and Alex Mashinsky really played an important role in it. He was an important person. And I think that, again, the power that he wielded uh, you know, again, helped them grow fast and help them grow beyond sort of what allowed them to become important in the beginning. And there becomes a certain point. This is not restricted to crypto markets. This is very common in financial markets. It's much easier to manage and invest a million dollars than it is a billion dollars, right? And once you get up to that billion dollar, uh, you know, level and, you know, uh, Celsius is far beyond that, you're effectively in a position where almost anything you do at size has the potential to move markets against you. And so while in the early days when your volumes are relatively low, you can basically look around, be opportunistic and scoop up lots of little opportunities that give you really great yield. That's something that becomes harder and harder and harder. That's why these projects wound up in large part in things like the Luna ecosystem that were essentially Ponzi schemes themselves, uh, designing and, you know, again, alleged Ponzi schemes, essentially designing systems that push out far more value than they pull in in a way that proved to be unsustainable catastrophically so which then compounds all of the problems for these bigger companies that are taking those bigger risks because they have no smaller risks to take that can still achieve the same types of yield. So it's sad for all of the people who are affected by this. It's a good lesson that if something seems like it's too good to be true, it probably is. And again, especially as these projects get big, you know, the allegation, of course, that they were actually recycling money from new customers to pay old customers, that is a damning allegation. And to the extent that that's proven to be true, then I think that, you know, we should see repercussions. We should see jail time. We should see this treated as every other Ponzi scheme should be. So I'm not particularly optimistic about that one based on current <laughs> dynamics, but, you know, it's better to know the truth than it is to have it hidden under the rug. So I'm happy about that at least. Wendy, what do you think? 
I've got a little bit of money left on Celsius still. Well, it's not necessarily a little bit of money, but and on Voyager too. But it is what it is. And I'm just kind of taking a step back and watching all of this stuff play out and trying to figure out what the next move is going to be. Because I feel like the bankruptcy case is moving kind of slow. I feel like Voyager is doing a lot better job of getting their stuff together. And then it was also reported that Celsius found a couple million of dollars extra to you know keep them in operation. So I don't really have a big take on this story besides I just taking a step back and watching how things play out until we get more information until we get like a receiver in there till we get somebody from traditional finance, I guess, to come in that actually handles bankruptcy to be like, Hey, where's this money? Where's this money? We need to do this. We need to do that. Cause right now it's just, we're, we're literally just waiting for the judge to give guidance and that's all. Yeah. One last thought on it. It's interesting looking at the timeline that they're laying out in the story. It looks back as far as July, 2021, they didn't have funds in order to pay their customers. They were just using old funds from older customers to pay out yield or getting in new clients and using that for yield. They didn't have yield. You know, the, the market was drying up. If you even think back, that was our first dip during the bull market where Bitcoin went back down as low as like 28,000. I think it caught a lot of people flat-footed, including Celsius. And there's some more allegations in here about the sell token, which is interesting about how the sell token was being pumped by insiders in order to uh, increase the assets on the books of Celsius which of course is pretty damning as well. Uh, I'm sure that will get a lot of different government agencies interested and involved, you know, basically pushing up what they may see as an unregistered security. We don't know that, it'd be an allegation, and we could see what that happens, happens in the future with that, but it does sort of bear some of those hallmarks, right? Where you have your own share that you issue yourself, and then you increase the price of it, and then you use it to make your firm look a little bit better than it is. Adam, to you. Yeah. And the Celsius token, I think, is really worth thinking about because the way that we value, you know, like we talk about token value in terms of market capitalization. What market capitalization means is you take the current price and then you multiply it by the total amount of supply that's out there. And bam, you've got something that on paper is worth billions and billions of dollars. In reality, that's not how markets work. And so one of the interesting things in Celsius's initial filing was that despite the fact that the Celsius token was valued at a fraction of the price, I believe they represented it as something that was worth $600 million, something like that in terms of their stake in it. So again, that's valuing it by a market cap that didn't even exist at that point, but which they hope that they can sort of claw their way back to. And that's, I think, a dynamic that's very, 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 very dangerous with all of this stuff. It's important to know as an individual out there that the appearance of liquidity is very different from the actual reality of liquidity. And again, to the extent that you tried to that Celsius tried to sell half of the tokens that it had, it would in effect push the price significantly below because there just isn't enough demand to support those types of buyers, certainly not at the prices that they believe that they could sell them at, or at least are representing that they could sell them at. So that's another important dynamic is that even today, it, the all appearances is that the company is not being honest about what their book really looks like and about how much value really exists there. And I'm not that smart, and I know this. And so again, like they definitely know this. So it, it just indicates to me that although they're saying things that are sort of conciliatory, in reality, they appear to be playing a version of the same game that they have been playing, it appears, for quite some time. So once again, be careful out there. Not your keys, not your coins. Well, that was Adam, Will, and myself. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. 
We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web 3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseuse, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.